Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Chain Anything, where you can literally ask me anything. Now this show is possible because some of you guys pledge at $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. Now everybody gets to watch the archive and we've kind of changed how we're going to ask for submissions for questions because I want to try to do this show once a week and keeping the questions to just those of you who pledge at $7 or more per month, we weren't getting enough questions to do the show as frequently as we wanted to. So... We've cracked open submissions to everybody. Now, I'll say this. We will prioritize those of you who pledge at the higher tiers. You guys will make sure to have your questions answered before other folks. Uh, but for the sake of being able to do the show a little more often, we're going to open them up. Now, you can ask questions on Patreon. And we're going to... We'll update there pretty frequently because there's really no way to kind of tag something to our Patreon page. So it's always there. So you guys can go there and just keep asking questions. However... If you use Sifted, and you should, I don't know why you would be a patron and not using Sifted. At the very least, you guys should have went over there to connect your account so that you guys can access your private podcast feeds that you guys pay for. So anyway, provided you've done that, head over to Sifted, and there will always be a link in the header of the site where you can go to our forums and you can ask a question there. And those are going to be open 24-7-365. So anyway, big changes in how we take submissions, but the show itself isn't changing much at all. Our first question for today comes from The Sandman. Hey Shane, I've enjoyed watching some classic films for the first time recently, including Brief Encounters, The Professionals, Butch and the Sundance Kid, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, to name a few. What's your favorite classic film or films? Are there any you haven't seen but would like to? Okay, I'm not a huge classic movie buff, even though I am named after a classic movie. I've said before, I am named after the cowboy movie Shane, and if you have not seen that movie, I highly recommend it. It will probably make you cry. I'm just going to warn you right now. Um, so obviously I have an affinity for that. But I think a lot of uh, the classic movies, I don't. maybe I'm wrong for saying this. And I think my uh, RTF professors, radio, television, and film professors at Temple would get angry if uh, to see me say this or hear me say this, that I don't have an appreciation for a lot of classic films. They just don't resonate with me. Even though I've watched pretty much all of them because a lot of the classes at Temple you would study them. So I've watched a lot. Obviously, I like Shane. I mean, if the 70s and early 80s are classics, then, I mean, the first two Godfather movies are incredible. Um, the third one, not so much. Uh, the second one, one of the best films ever made. Um, I was a horror buff even way back in the 70s and 80s. So a lot of the films that I really liked from those eras uh, were horror films. Night of the Living Dead, obviously way before my time, but I watched it as, you know, a teen or whatever. Um, and it is a classic film, a classic horror film. Um, it's not a great film, though. <laughs> it's uh, It was groundbreaking, but you watch it now, it's kind of a hard watch. And I think a lot of films like, are like that for me. Um, so I think if you move the classic rating into the 70s and, and 80s, I probably have an appreciation more for films um, from those eras than the 50s and 60s, so to speak. And I do think the 50s probably is when most people consider the era of classic movies, black and white stuff typically. Uh, but yeah, I don't really resonate with a lot of those. Like the list of films that you uh, that you supplied, like none of those are really amazing to me. I guess it's, it's a little weird to see that you consider Planes, Trains, and Automobiles a classic movie because I do vaguely remember when that film came out. So I think a lot of it is just about perspective. I do admire that you're going back and trying to appreciate the classics, but I'm actually curious... If you feel the same way I do, going back and watching most of those films, they just really don't hold up. Next up is a question from Joaquin Dragoon. 
Why do you think some systems failed in the market? What are your thoughts on the Dreamcast and Wii U? Do you think we will see another system failure from one of the big three ever again? That's a great question, but I'll just say this right out of the gate. Um, the Wii U and the Dreamcast are pretty much the only examples that you can find for this, right? I mean, they're, you could go back farther and talk about the Atari 5200 and the 3DO and stuff like that. And I think there were definitely failures there. Um, but I think if there's one common denominator between them all, it's a lack of software. That's ultimately what dooms most platforms. Now, people will say the PSP was a failure. It really wasn't. It sold, if I remember correctly, like 80 million units or something like that, but it's commonly considered a failure because it was positioned by PlayStation to defeat Nintendo's handhelds, and that did not happen. It got dominated by Nintendo's handhelds. So um, people consider it a failure. It really wasn't, but it had a ton of software, and it wasn't a gangbuster success. So I guess one thing I would say is that Having a lot of software is no guarantee of success, but without it, you have no chance. Um, look at the GameCube. Probably before Switch, the Nintendo console with the most third-party support, because it finally was a Nintendo console that had discs, so third parties were more likely to develop for it. Plus, it had very simple architecture to work on, and so porting things to it wasn't too difficult. Um, so generally... Consoles don't fail in the modern era. Now, going back to the Wii U and the Dreamcast, I mean, the Dreamcast definitely was software, but there was a, a hidden reason as well, and that was the PlayStation 2. It was doing okay software-wise until the PlayStation 2 launch. And then once that happened, all the publishers and all the developers just immediately started prioritizing PlayStation 2 games, and obviously the PlayStation 2 was more powerful than the Dreamcast. It was difficult to make games for both the Dreamcast and the PlayStation 2. And so the Dreamcast just kind of fell by the wayside. It lost third-party support. Sega's internal studios just simply weren't enough to support a console all on its own. And so the Dreamcast faded. Now the Wii U, it also terrible third-party support. Coming off of the Wii, which had adequate third-party support, but it had basically disappeared by the end of the Wii's life cycle. It started out okay, in the middle, it was maybe a little better, but then none of it sold, none of the software sold, and third parties just completely abandoned it. And so, it was very hard to get them on board for the Wii U. And I remember some of the montages for Wii U. It was like these old uh, Batman games. It was like an old Batman game. All these old sort of open world games that Nintendo's console, the Wii, couldn't handle before. And the publishers are like, oh, look, we can just release an Assassin's Creed for the Wii U, because it's the first time an Assassin's Creed will be on a Nintendo console, because we couldn't do it before. That was kind of the messaging of the Wii U, and that was not going to sell anyone, and it did not sell anyone. So, I think generally, when consoles fail, it's almost always because there's not adequate software support, and that's definitely the case with the Wii U, and sadly, the Dreamcast. Alright, next up we have a question from Patreon, from Aaron Grimshaw. Shane, you and Matt have talked about the golden age of entertainment being whatever you were into when you were 12. How do you think this will work with the current generations that have far more content than we ever did? Aaron, that's a great question. I, I would just say this. So, hmm, <laughs> why word this? A, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my wife, and I told her that our generation, Generation X, we're like... um. 
We're like the rats in the Skinner box. We're like the first people to grow up in this information age, this age where you, you have access to everything all the time. When I was a kid before the internet existed in the 90s or whatever, this was it was completely different. Your your disposition was different. And I feel like for the first 20ish 25 years of this, it was fine. But I feel like now I'm starting to reach overload on just everything. I think what's happened with the digital age and having access to everything all at once is that there's an accumulation effect of it. Like for the first 20 or so years, I just just soaking up everything I could. And then I reached sort of a zenith with the internet where I'm like, you know what? I've kind of learned most of the stuff that I want to learn. I still have a lot to learn, but it's not necessarily stuff that I would pursue and want to learn. Um, and then once I reached that point, like I, I found the, a law of diminishing returns with being online and being constantly inundated with stuff. And it got exponentially worse when everybody's phones got a camera because what happened is and you know i talk to my mom about this all the time she thinks that like people are terrible now and people weren't terrible back in the 70s and the 80s and that just something has happened and just people have become terrible people my contention is that we just see it all now because everybody has a cell phone camera and so you see every terrible thing that happens and just you know the old mantra for news is if it bleeds, it leads. And that has held true on the internet in digital spaces as well, because for whatever reason, the stuff that bubbles up and is the most popular tends to be terrible stuff. Things that happen to people that are terrible. Very rarely do you see the top story on the news be a, a fluff piece about something good that's happened. And I feel like I'm reaching the accumulation effect of it right now. Like I am disengaging with social media. Like, I just don't care. Like, with all the stuff that ended up happening with Twitter, like, I think it's just awful what has happened to it. And all I'm seeing now are, like, the worst opinions bubbling up in every conversation that I'm in. Literally, like, the worst ones are always pegged at the top of every conversation. So I've lost faith in Twitter. I lost faith in Facebook a long time ago. Like, I usually just use that to, like, wish my old high school friends, like, happy birthday or whatever. So I have been disengaging from social media. You may have noticed, or probably maybe not, but I tweet, like, once a month now. Like, I just, I use Twitter for Sifted, and that's pretty much it. So, to rewind to your question, what's going to happen to these kids who have been inundated with everything? Because they're consuming all the stuff that we consumed way back, you know, 10, 20 years ago. They're consuming that plus all the new stuff. They don't already know what we know. They have to learn that stuff first. And so my fear is that once these kids get to a certain age, they're going to be like me. They're going to be like, I can't take this anymore. And maybe they're going to be the generation that's like not pulling the plug, but maybe establishing healthy boundaries um, for people who go through life dealing with the digital landscape, like everybody does at this point. So maybe they'll be the ones who can curtail it the way it probably should be curtailed. But I also feel like you're going to end up with a lot of awesome people. <laughs> Most importantly, like the stuff that was available to me back when I was 12 or 13, like it was just, there was like five TV stations to watch. Like you absorbed what you had access to like a sponge, but these 
kids, they absorb like a sponge too, but now they have access to so much more. And so I think it's only going to diversify their thought. It's only going to diversify their feelings. It's only going to make them work better with other people. It's only, only going to make the, the, the global community better. That part of it, I think, is great. But I do think that there's a saturation point for just this constant inundation of images and video and stories and comments and anger. And it's, I just feel like everyone's going to eventually get to a breaking point, And I have a feeling that the younger generations might hit it younger than we do. All right. Our final question for today's episode comes from Patreon from Scorpio's Finest. Hey Shane, I know you were on the electronic and rave scene back in the day when it was more of a thing. I'm positive you have seen some wild stuff while out at parties. What's one of the wildest things you can remember? Okay, Scorpio's Finest, you are 100% right. I was there for the beginning of the rave scene um, in the United States. It was a big thing in Europe and England starting in like the late 80s. It took until like 90, late 91, early 92 for it really to start catching hold in the United States. Um, it really started in New York City with a series of parties called Storm Raves. Um, Frankie Bones and Adam X, it was a group of people in New York City that threw those. And they were kind of the progenitors of the rave scene in the United States, really. And then things were starting to set off out here on the West Coast at the same time. But things were different then. So it's interesting that you say back when it kind of back when it was a thing. Back then, it wasn't a thing. It was so underground. Now it's a thing. Like now, the raves are like 100,000, 200,000 people. It's completely changed. Back then, the biggest parties were like five or 600 people. Well, the one, I'm going to tell you one story, and I literally have thousands, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of stories from those days of going to raves. But I'll tell you one. Um, there was a party, and I believe it was New Year's Eve 1995. It was a party in Baltimore called Resolution. It was a New Year's Eve party. As I said, all the raves before then had been like four or 500 people. And like, you know, it was the, the stereotypical thing where like you get a flyer and you'd be driving out in the middle of nowhere. There was no map quest back then. Like you, you had to like write down directions on a piece of paper before you left and just hope that they were right. Um, it was a different time. Anyway, um, so New Year's Eve 95, this, this, uh, party company called Ultra World throws this this rave called Resolution in uh, Baltimore on New Year's Eve. And it was billed as to finally be the rave that we had seen in Europe in the United States. And we got there and it was pretty accurate. It was gigantic. It was too big because the scene just wasn't big enough yet to fill it up. Like there was like four rooms of music and like three of the rooms were only like half full. Like they're just, it was just so new. Like they kind of overdid it. But one thing I'll remember is we had a blast. It was amazing. It was like, you know, finally what we had wanted to like attend that we had seen in all these magazines in Europe for years and years. We we're like, finally, this is happening in the U.S. Um, so that part of it was awesome. And me and my friends, we had a great time. But the one thing I remember is the way the, the venue was, there was like a hub where you where you first walked in the door and there's like where people walked in with their tickets and everything. And then from there, like the party like sprung off. So there was like a room over here and a room over here and a room way back there. And then there was this hub area in the center and there were a bunch of soda machines there at that hub area. And at first they were awesome uh, because if you were thirsty, you could walk up and get a soda. And there was one that had like juices and stuff. It was pretty sweet. And so we went out and had a good time and like the things are like winding down and me and my crew are like walking back to the area where you go to walk out. And we're kind of scoping things out, like trying to figure out if there's gonna be an after party, or whatever. And we come up to the soda machine area. And what had happened was, I don't know if people had tried to steal the sodas out of the machines because things got crazy at that party. It was really dark and just lasers everywhere. And like, it was out of control basically. So 
We get back there, and there's a flood around the soda machines. And again, I have no idea how, but the water was probably, I don't know, like four or five inches deep and so dirty that it was just brown black. And there were people rolling around in that disgusting water, like naked, like girls and guys. (laughs) It's like, again, we had seen what raves were through magazines there was no youtube or anything like so we would buy these magazines like one was called the face from europe um and we'd only learn about this stuff from those magazines and music magazines and things like that melody maker stuff like that um and so to see it with our own eyes we were like oh my gosh the real thing's here all right that's it for ask shane anything again i say all the time i have stories that you would not believe you just have to ask the right questions so again this is technically possible because of the people who pledge is seven dollars or more per month thank you people who do that thank you so much as a patron if you're not hitting that tier you should thank your fellow patrons who are bucking up the money to do this show if you enjoy it um but like i said we have changed how we're submitting questions so we'll ask for you guys here on patreon but i really think you guys should go over to sifted.net and become a part of the community there because it is awesome it is a utopia for older people who enjoy video games so go over there and if you are there is a link on the header that you will always be able to go to to ask me questions. If something pops into your head, you're like, oh, I'd like to ask Shane that, just head over there, go into the forum thread, put it in there, I'll see it, we'll sort it out. So anyway, as you're watching this, I am probably unconscious right now (laughs) from anesthesia. Um, I'm recording this the day before, but as you're watching this, I am actually having surgery this very moment. Chances are. Um, So if you're watching this or listening to this, maybe send me some good vibes. Um, Still don't know. What's going to be up with Face or the other stuff? Like, I'll have to see how I feel after I get out of the procedure today. Uh, but I just want to thank all you guys for your understanding and all for your support. So, we'll be back soon. Jane out.